Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. End every workout the right way with Core Power. Fueled by 26 grams of high-quality protein to give your body what it needs when it needs it. Recover and build lean muscle with Core Power. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. End every workout the right way with Core Power. Fueled by 26 grams of high-quality protein to give your body what it needs when it needs it recover and build lean muscle with core power this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network geico asks how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance of course you would and when it comes to great rates on insurance geico can help like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, Faye. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. Um, you're, what, what do you do for a profession? Um, so I am a HIV and infectious diseases nurse. Okay. And so what typically might you be doing on a week before the coronavirus hit? So um, I have two jobs in two different hospitals. First half of the week, I used to see HIV patients, maybe do a new diagnosis, um, maybe see someone who's been stable and on their medicines for years and they've had a blip and it's more of the like holistic supportive stuff. And then in my second job, um, I am a nurse educator for nurses that work in infectious and tropical diseases. So it might be walking a newly qualified nurse through how we work and getting them up to speed with their new speciality or just being there if someone goes, oh, I've never done this before, can you help? Okay, so the HIV stuff, so that's, um, so you're working hands-on with people that have contracted the disease. Yep. And uh, part of your job might be to give the bad news. Yeah. How's that? Um, Tough. But once you, I think what, the first time you do it, you're scared of how they're going to react. Yeah. And once you've done it a couple of times, you realise that your job in that situation, someone's got to tell them. Um, and really what you need to do is reassure them. And they're not going to remember anything other than the bad news when you first tell them. Yeah. And it's about just making them feel like they, they're they okay and they can come back. And then it's, it's not just a one consultation of, uh, process like it's a few weeks where you're like getting them settled um and the first few times i did it i got loads of anxiety from it um but now it's a lot i'm not gonna say it, it's not easier it's i'm just i've just done it more often so i know what to expect what what can you remember the first time do you remember the patient yeah he ran around the room did he yeah, and he just, he had an act, I was with a doctor um, and he just ran around the room and just couldn't process it and the doctor left to go and do a few bits and pieces and when the doctor come back in, he was sat there just chatting with me and I the doctor still goes, I don't know what you did and to be honest, I don't know either, I think I just talked to him. Mm. Cause people... just... Sorry, go on. It's just lots of reassurance. Yeah, because people do do um, they do think that it's a life sentence still, right? But the reality yeah. is what. So if you uh, take your medicines and take them how we tell you to, you will live a completely normal, be able to do whatever job you want. Um, you don't transmit to anybody else when you're on your medicines, and what we call undetectable. Um, so. If someone wanted to look it up, it's called U equals U. And essentially, if you're undetectable, you can't pass it on. And you live into old age. Like, we've got patients in their 70s and their 80s, and they've had HIV since maybe the 90s. Mm. And the medicine just keeps your immune system working and functioning like it does in everybody else. Uh, when you say undetectable, does that mean you can have unprotected sex and not pass it on? Yeah. Wow. I know, right? That's incredible. I mean, 
it's a good thing because people don't have to be fearful about who they're having sex with or, or if they have a partner who's um you know who, who is hiv positive but knows and, and there's a clear line of information that this this person is taking their meds correctly that they can have they can have a complete relationship where they don't have to rely on 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 contraceptives they can be as personal as they want to be and no fear of the, the virus spreading but sorry the yeah. disease spreading is it a virus it is i'm getting so confused it's a virus. yeah so, so so they can have that whole relationship uh because of the developments in treating hiv yeah, that's crazy, and um, and, and in a good way, and in, in um, so so is that once you're once you've had that conversation, is that is, is your first sort of line of reassurance saying, look, this is manageable, this is something yeah. that you don't have to be fearful of this. Is that how you go about it? What what, what is yeah. your method? You you kind of say so. You tell them that. You tell them we're going to start your medicines as soon as possible. Um, there's lots of studies to say when we should and actually we just start them. And then it's reassurance. It's you are going to be okay. This is a long-term, like, manageable condition. And as long as you take your medicines, everything will be fine. Mm. And it's repeating that over and over again. Because people don't take their medicines? Um. Some people don't. London's quite good. Um, So there's uh, targets we're supposed to meet, and London does quite well. Um, But some people, and it's sort of internal stigma, so it's lots of, I can't take this because I feel I'm dirty, and taking the tablet reminds me of it and things like that. Wow. it's, It's how they feel about themselves. Yeah. And how they relate to it that then the pills remind them why they're taking it. And that can be a problem. Um, this is it's so interesting. I, I, this, I wasn't anticipating the conversation go this way, but you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, it's, it's, I, would, I would assume, and, and this is a kind of very pseudo explanation of what actually might be the facts, but because it's a sexually transmitted disease, that shame is infinitely more severe and impactful on that individual than it would be if they'd if they'd contracted uh a cold or or a or something that affected their immune system in the same way not like a cold but you know that they they would have no issue in just medicating for that but because it's a sexual act that happened and because of the, the stigma around that and because of how government um attacked the 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 aids Virus back in the eighties with that campaign. Of, I don't know if you you ever remember. You you probably have definitely seen it in your in your work. But as a kid who grew up in the eighties, um, I, I remember vividly the the adverts of this tombstone AIDS massive monolithic thing, uh, and it basically said like you're gonna die if you get this. So that that kind of stigma is is carried through to modern day. But yeah, I mean, why don't what you think about that? Yeah, it's oh sorry, sorry. Right, Sorry. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> um, so that that's probably the thing that people get, the, they can't get their head around. It's the, I I did something to catch this. Like I had, I had unprotected sex and people told you not to, so I did something. Mm. And you tell people, like millions of people do that every day. None of us would be here if people didn't do that. Yeah. So that's okay. And I've got patients who are like, I can't tell my family because then they'll think that I am promiscuous and things like that. And 
that I I sleep around with lots of different people. And actually, it may not have been. It may have been they had one regular partner. That partner didn't know they had HIV and then they've passed it on unknowingly. Mm. And in that situation, you can't really blame anybody. Yeah, no. Um, some of my patients are perinatally acquired. So they've acquired their HIV from a parent through birth. Um, wow. They have quite a lot of that's quite difficult because then you have to negotiate your first relationship with yeah. I have HIV and that's very difficult on them. Yeah. Because uh, they didn't, they, they never went through the process. Like if someone who's done it, someone goes, if I go in to have, have unprotected sex and then I contract it, I can, even though it's shocking at the time and difficult to deal with, I can, I know the, I know the etymology of it. I know where it came from. I know what happened. But to be born with it, it's just you, right? It's just who you are. And that must be difficult. And then there's people who get them from blood transfusions and maybe poor medical hygiene, I guess. So, it's, so like reusing of needles. So there's lots in um, places that don't have needle exchanges. They're rate of HIV is a lot higher in their injecting drug users population mm. whereas in uh, countries like the UK that have needle exchanges and have done since the 80s it's a lot lower um, because we'll give clean kits to people um, and it's 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 that stigma as well as like oh you must have you must have either had unprotected sex or you must be gay mm. and had unprotected sex or you must be a drug user. I was going to ask that. Is there is the rate of infection still higher in gay men than uh, straight relationships? Globally, it's higher in straight relationships. Really? Yeah. Wow. But in certain areas, then it's higher in like the population of men who have sex with men. So if you look at clinics in London, there's a clinic in Soho they've got a very high population of patients who are men who have sex with other men. Mm. And if you then look in a clinic that's maybe in sort of the suburbs, then it might have a larger population of women. Okay. And is what, what, two things. Um, is it because the act of penetration means that you're, you're more likely to conceive i.e. If, if you're being penetrated uh, than the other way around? Yes. Okay, so that's, that would explain why more women have it? Yeah. Right, okay. And the other thing is, uh, when you said men sleeping with men as opposed to gay men, what what was the reason for that? Is that is that the, the correct way to do it, the, the, the ethical way to talk about it? So, so you by saying men who have sex with men, you're capturing people who identify as straight but have had sex with another man or um the population of bisexual men so it's a catch-all i guess and it's it's our way of saying oh you're a, you might be someone who identifies as heterosexual but you've experimented and okay. therefore you're still at risk right right so it's not it's, it's important not to identify it's it, the issue isn't 
whether someone identifies as gay or not. It's yeah. the fact that it, you are a man who's having sex, whether you identify as gay or not, just to get it clear to people that this isn't a gay disease and it never was. Exactly. Right. And it's not... It, like, we have just as... I, I have lots of heterosexual men who have never had sex with another man, but they've contracted it through um, heterosexual sex or through... Um, having a blood transfusion in a resource poor setting or something like that. Yeah. Um, and there it, it's just in certain popular, it's in certain areas, it's higher mm-hmm. in, um, in certain populations, but that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't, dis, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, it's not going to go, Oh, I'm not going to infect you because you're straight. Yeah, of course. It's going to do it regardless. It's just your, it's high risk behaviors that make you more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how many of, how, like, how do you know if someone is a straight man who has contracted it by having sex with another man who considers himself straight? Like, why? How do you know that as a thing? Well, they, I'm sure they don't go around when you're talking to them. The, the, uh, why would you record the fact that they are heterosexual and they've had sex with men? Because um, we ask. I, uh, so I'd understand why you want to because the data is important, but 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 it, surely it's much more common than it's not once or twice that this is happening. So it, yeah, I guess we ask because we need to know what risk they have in order to look for other sexually transmitted infections. Mm-hmm. So if I ask a, if a straight man who has only ever had sex with women goes into a clinic you're asking that and they've got no symptoms mm. then you're going to say could you please pee in a pot and we'll test your urine yeah whereas if someone comes in and they identify as heterosexual and you say but have you ever had xyz types of intercourse mm-hmm. and they say yes then i'm going to do a more extensive panel of tests and that might be that we do a rectal swab or we do a throat swab or something like that mm-hmm. because I don't want to miss the fact that they've got gonorrhea somewhere else. Yeah, understood. Um, so the HIV uh, sufferers or people that live with HIV, I'm not sure the correct way to term these things. But... Uh, people who live with HIV is right. Okay, correct. Uh, so people who live with HIV, are, um, are they more susceptible to things like the coronavirus because their immune system... So the there's not i guess there's because it's a new virus we're still trying to learn about it at the moment the british hiv association is saying that if you're on your medicines and you've got a good cd4 count which is a particular type of um immune cell um that's affected by hiv then you're considered to be closely you're closer to being someone in the general population um, in regards to coronavirus, mm. but there's not enough data. So uh, we just, sometimes we just don't know the answer. So we have to go on the data we have and and we are always over-cautious. Of course. Um, but there's no, there's nothing at the moment that's saying that they're in the same category as if they've got a good immune system as like the elderly population. Um, but if someone's not on their medicine and they've got a low CD4 count, then we're a lot more cautious about them. Mm, okay. If just, just another quick question before we do go on to coronavirus. What, um, if someone has a low count, 
CD4 count because they haven't been taking their medicine correctly, can yeah. they rebuild it by just starting and, and taking the medicine properly again? Or do they permanently yeah. damage it? So some people will permanently have a sort of lower CD4 count, but everyone can make their CD4 count better by taking medicines. So I meet people whose CD4 count might be... So low, so low enough to consider dangerous is probably below 350 low enough that we give you prophylactic antibiotics is below 200 i've met patients and they've had a cd4 count of 10 and then i've been able to get them into the 400s oh wow so it yeah you can repair it with medicines yeah yeah incredible fascinating um so how has your job changed um since the outbreak what 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 does your day revolve around now has it changed what 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 are you doing so my HIV job, I think I'm probably only going to do for another three days. And then I'm going to be a full-time COVID nurse educator, I guess. Although technically it's still infectious diseases nurse educator. Um, so my HIV job, we just, all of our clinics became telephone clinics. We stopped seeing patients face-to-face unless we absolutely had to. So new diagnosis changing their medicines that's about it otherwise we were just phoning them and then sending them medicine in the post or um getting them to pick them up from a pharmacy and then my educator job has been absolutely bonkers since january um all i have done since january to probably early march is teach people how to put on um personal protective equipment Okay. And how to take it off safely. And then when March hit, we started transforming our ward into a COVID ward. Um, we've now got three and a half COVID wards. What, what's a COVID ward? So all of the patients on that ward have COVID. So they are... Um, Every single patient, from the minute you walk into the door of the ward, you're in um, personal protective equipment. And it means that we we do something called cohort patients. So what you don't want to do in hospital is look after these patients, but transmit the virus from them to a patient that doesn't have it. So what we do is we group all of the patients that do have it together. So they're not in individual rooms anymore. They're just in a ward all together. Is there, is um, there a risk that they, they can contract a, uh, again or, or, or recontract? Or is there, it, can you do more home by, by being continually exposed? Um, no. Otherwise, so we wouldn't... Know. Yeah, not as far as we know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be putting them together. We do test them for other things. So if they've got... Uh, COVID and they've got another infection then they go in their own room Yeah, um, we wouldn't put them with everybody else and it's you're, you're building up your immunity to it by fighting it off um, so as you fight it off you're then getting antibodies and your body's working a way out how to protect itself for it um, it's like when you get chicken pox as a kid mm. and then you don't get it again um we don't know how long that immunity lasts at the minute mm. but 
it's we know it's safe to say that when someone's resolving from the symptoms that they can still stay in that ward until they're discharged so in a sense it is like a, a small version of herd mentality herd immunization sorry kind kind of kind of is that's i know that's quite a politically uh, ho- political hot potato that term isn't it but yeah it's it's a misinterpretation of what um of certain things that were said by the chief medical officer and the other people that are working on the process okay so you're and are you on this ward Faye? are you near it yeah, Every yeah day? so the the first ward that turned into a COVID ward was my ward that I was based on. So we got our first query cases in January because we're the infectious diseases ward. So that's our bread and butter. If you um, if you talk to most nurses, they they don't necessarily know how to put on the correct PPE because that's not something that's required in their job. So I don't know how to give chemo because it's not part of my job. But I do know how to wear PPE and what to wear it for because that is my job. Right. And um, what what are what are people wearing when they're dealing with patients with COVID nineteen? So it depends. If they're um, if they're on a ward and the patients aren't having something we call an aerosolizing um, procedure, so an aerosol generating procedure, then they are in a apron, gloves, and a fluid repellent surgical mask because it's a droplet virus so it um it when someone coughs it it drops to the floor quite quickly um but the main issue is that it will then be on surfaces Mm. and it can survive on surfaces for some time so um what you don't want to do is touch your face inadvertently while you've got gloves on so that's why you've got a a fluid repellent surgical mask on and and nothing can get through that mask so uh, the virus can't. So you're not going to get droplets get through the mask because it's fluid repellent. So yeah. So the answer is no. It can't get through. But there are other viruses that, or other things that potentially could, and that's why you'd have to wear other equipment. Yeah. It... So I wouldn't wear that if I was looking after a patient with TB because that wouldn't be adequate. Mm. So it's just because I the, the COVID when it's not airborne, it's liquid. It, it carries in liquid. It, yeah, so the virus is um, transmitted through droplets, so that's how um, it works. Whereas there are other things like that are transmitted aerosolized, so they it hangs in the air more; it doesn't drop. And you can inhale it. Yeah. Not so when big... we do with COVID, it can do that, but only when we're doing something that aerosolizes it. So um, when someone's in intensive care on a ventilator their staff wear a lot more equipment and there are times where I have to wear more equipment depending on what I'm doing with a patient. Yeah. So um, I can do something called CPAP, which is um, a type of non-invasive ventilation. So um, it's, it's helping someone's lungs work without putting a tube in and that aerosolizes. So when I do that, I wear a much higher filtration mask that works a lot better mm-hmm. um, and it stops the aerosolized particles coming in. I wear eye protection and then I wear a full body gown that covers my arms as well as covering my, like my scrubs and stuff. It comes down to about my mid calf um, and 
it depends on what you're doing you'll maybe or maybe not wear an apron on top of that but our gowns have got a fluid repellent um, panel in the front and on the arms um, to protect us from it okay uh, so you've seen someone or many people that have come into the hospital and uh, recovered yeah. or not you so you've seen that process yeah uh, how uh, how varied are the symptoms in the people if they're hospitalized do they all express the same level of discomfort or does it vary it it does vary the the main thing is that they need oxygen so they'll be what we call hypoxic and it means their oxygen levels are just very low and the severity varies from me needing to give a couple of liters of oxygen via a normal um uh, so we call them nasal cannula yeah. um so it's the traditional thing you see tubes going up someone's nose yeah. around their ears and back down and they could need a couple of liters on that which so oxygen in the air you breathe is about 21 percent if i put someone on two liters they're between 24 and 28 percent they're getting um from there to being ventilated there's lots of different levels in between um, being ventilated you've got something not only delivering the oxygen but also doing the movement um, of air exchange for your lungs so that your lungs don't need to um, because the lungs just aren't able to keep up with it and they're probably getting 100% oxygen or as close to as we can do. And this is uh, a machine where you see I don't know if they still look like this but in my head when I've seen them in films and stuff there has like a pump that goes up and down and you can see that yeah. and, can, and it sounds like it's it's breathing it, or, do you know what I mean it's yeah is that is that a weird thing to say it, it just it, no 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 it's it, it's the pump is causing the change in pressure that normally your lungs do so that's what it's doing um and if someone is on that ventilator what's the process once they're considered well enough of getting them off or are you only well enough once you know for some people so, it, it'll be difficult to get off at all so the amount of pressure you're using to help you change so um the less pressure you're needing to help them they call it peep and ventilators are not my speciality i don't i've not worked in itu yeah um, they can then convert them to what i can do which is cpap and when they're stable in cpap they come to one of the wards that i'm working on out of the several in the building what cpap uh, sorry so it's continuous positive airway pressure. Right. So if you, the way to explain it is that it's like sticking your head out of a car while it's moving at 70 miles an hour. That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a mask strapped to your face and it can deliver uh, anything from 21% oxygen like Rimer up to 100 and it causes it by blowing the pressure into your lungs, it causes your lungs to stay a little bit more open than they would normally, and that allows for better gas exchanges. Um, so you're not getting you're getting all of your alveoli in your lungs getting exchange happening in them, and we wean that process. So you start with a higher pressure and lots of oxygen, and then you wean that off and get less and less, and you can take breaks. So I take it off to allow someone to eat. And if actually they're doing not too bad on it, then I can reduce the amount of time they're on the mask. 
and eventually they get off that onto normal oxygen and then we wean that down to the point where they're just breathing normal room air like everyone else and that's when they go home. And that's things like, um, this is the recovery's happening, it's finally easier because things like antibiotics are working and things like that and a, a vaccine or whatever it is are working so, and, and, and the, the lungs are slowly repairing or the virus is being killed. So it's not, it's not antibiotics because it's a... So antibiotics work on a bacteria and this is a virus. Right. Um, what we're doing is supportive care. So we're allowing... We're supporting their lungs to function while their body fights the virus off itself. Right. But then we'll also do things like if they're dehydrated, we'll cover them with fluids... Um, we might put a feeding tube in because this is affecting uh, elderly patients and elderly patients tend to get a delirium when they're sick and they stop eating, mm. they stop drinking, they um, become bed bound when they wasn't normally. So it might be an elderly person who normally gets up, goes to the shop, gets their newspaper, buys their pint of milk, goes home, goes to clubs, still goes down the pub, all that sort of stuff to be in bed bound because they're sick. Mm. Um, it's that sort of supportive care that we're delivering rather than actively treating um, with me with a particular medicine. There are trials going on, but there's not, uh, there's not like a, this works at the minute. No, fair enough. Um, I know that with my nan. I watched my nan actually. She had a bladder infection, and when she was in hospital, the delirium, and, and actually she had it at home first, which made us worry and call a doctor. But they'd like active hallucinations would actually talk, be talking to someone who isn't there, or re referring to something that's not happening. And um, and she was. I remember once that she was talking about there being hay and animals all over the front room, and obviously I came to realize or came to learn actually that that that. that this is a symptom sometimes of an infection, but um, what, so can I, I'm going to ask quite a morbid qu question now. Okay. Uh, and I'm, tr I'm trying my hardest not to be insensitive about it, but have you seen, uh, uh, what's the recovery rate of the wards that you've been working on? How, how many people are, are making it through? So you've got to imagine out of all the patients who get coronavirus or COVID, I see the worst of the worst. I don't see the ones who aren't sick enough to go to hospital. So at the beginning, we had quite a lot of deaths, more than we had recovery, but that's because the recovery takes a little while longer. Um, we, on a ward of 22, we had three deaths in one day in a 12 hour period. And for infectious diseases nurses, that's really high. We we would consider it a bad week if we had three deaths. Um, we'd consider it a bad month if we had that many on the wards. Um, so for us, it's something that we're we're finding a change and we're finding it a bit difficult. Um, I'm really lucky in that my hospital's got a very good palliative care team that mm. are very supportive, not only of uh, our patients, but also of our staff. Um, but it's, it's something, it's more than we're used to. Uh, how are you though? Um, I, today I'm okay. 
it fluctuates, if I'm honest. Um, part of my job as the educator is to do a lot of pastoral care, so it's to do a lot of care of staff rather than active care of patients Mm. i still do that but normally to assist somebody um and it it gets me down when my staff get down yeah um and it's a lot of it's because they can't switch off so they go home they turn on the telly everything's about this and they ring a family member and it's about this they talk to a friend it's about it so and they can't do some of the activities they would normally do. So they're getting quite weighed down. Mm. If you're if you're a nurse, you might you might go home, but you're not gonna watch Holby City on repeat, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mainly because Holby City's awful. But yeah, um but I understand you escape from your the, the yeah. reality of your job. Yeah, so you don't you're not gonna turn on the news and see your particular job mentioned in every news story and it's not going to affect your uh, favorite pastimes and things like that um i've always found going to football really helps me and i can't do that anymore um so some people find going to the gym really helps and they can't do that because they've all sharp um some people like seeing their family but they're scared to be around their family because not necessarily because we're working with COVID, because I don't think that's going to put my staff at a, a significantly higher risk. But because they're travelling to and from work, that's putting them at risk. Mm. Um, and if they've got family members who are in that high risk category, they won't go to see them. Mm. Um, so that I think that's challenging. Has there been any members of your team or anyone in the hospital that has contracted it? Um. So I had a couple of doctors that went on holiday to northern Italy that came back with it. Wow. Um, so we've got... And we've got staff that have been off sick. And at the moment, there's a big thing about the NHS workers not not having tests at the moment, which are allegedly coming in the next week or two. Mm. Um, and it's... But we're just at the same risk as the rest of the population are when we go out and about, when we've been on public transport, when we've been at a friend's house or whatever it is. If you know someone, if someone knows someone at their workplace that got it, I know someone at my workplace that has got it. Yeah, I understand. So it's not it's not like an exponential problem in, in hospitals where doctors and nurses are falling like flies. It's, it's, um, it's an issue societally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's everything, Faye. Uh, uh, it's been really, really interesting. Um, I've gone through so much more. I've got through so much more than I had written down. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't want to make this awkward, but, you know, thank you for everything you're doing uh, and all your colleagues are doing. I think for, you know, given the fact that the country's been so divided politically for such a long time, that it's a shame that it's taken something so disastrous and scary to to bring people together but um you know everyone's really grateful for the work you guys are doing and you know as long as there are people like you and and your colleagues you know helping fight this then we're always going to be in a good position so all right thank you for for your time Faye and uh, the next time we speak it will be about Tottenham and not this (laughs) good all right bye
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.